Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rip. I appreciate the prayer time that we have here, and it's so meaningful and so purposeful. But let me just encourage us with this as well, that I know that everything that Pastor Rip said is true. He quotes Scripture, and I have every confidence and belief that what he says. And, you know, the Lord is a healer. But recognize that he is a healer of the entire person. Amen? Yes, cancer bows to him, as well as every other disease. But do you know that sometimes the Lord allows things to happen in our life, like a sickness, or a job loss, or a problem, not because he wants us to suffer, but because he wants to get our attention sometimes. And sometimes those things come to our life, not so that we can have to suffer, but yet we can press in, keep asking for a spiritual healing. You know, the spiritual man needs to be healed as well. Amen? That's the most important healing. Why is that? Because the spirit never dies. And if the spiritual man isn't healed, then what happens? It's not good. We need a spiritual healing more than any physical healing we could ever ask for. So so recognize that when we pray for healing, yes, we are praying for the physical ailments of the body because we're supposed to. And that's a good thing. And we can expect healings and we can expect signs and wonders and miracles. And we have. Thank the Lord. But more so, he's wanting the spirit man to be healed. And we sometimes we can't see that. But that's the one. That matters the most. Amen? Amen. So today, we're going to continue on our series, and we're going to actually finish up our little mini-series here. We haven't really titled it, um, but we're talking about how we run our spiritual race. So, Treasure, if you could throw up my slides, thank you so much for that. We're, we're, we're titling today, Do Not Go Weary and Lose Heart, because how quickly can we lose our patience, get weary, get tired, get discouraged, get depressed, get lonely, and say, you know what, maybe this race isn't worth it after all. You know, that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do for all of us, trying to weaken us, trying to discourage us, trying to get us at when we're at our lowest point to give up and give in. But today we're going to talk about how we do not grow weary and lose heart. We've been speaking about the race. And um, I want to read our scripture, our our text that we've been using for the past few weeks. And I'm going to add one more verse to it. Verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. So let's read our our text. In fact, stand with me if you will. And let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let's pray. Father, we come to you one more time asking you to give us spiritual revelation of what this passage means. How can we take these words and apply them to our lives? So, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to make them alive. Bring them alive off of this page or off of the screen or off of this Bible that we read. And, God, just bring them alive into our hearts so that we can grasp everything that you have in store for us. Lord, we're hungry. We're a needy people. And we need you in all ways, in all areas of our life. And so we just ask you, Lord, to settle in among us now in Jesus' name and teach us. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
So we've spent a number of weeks talking through this scripture, and uh, we talked about a few key points as we run our race. And so I'm just going to quick uh, give a quick five or ten minute summary of where we've been so that we can catch up, so that we can finish strong. So we learned about the importance of being accountable. Something we don't like <laughs> in our lives. We don't like accountability. Be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. We don't like to be accountable to anybody besides ourselves. And we talked about the fact that it's okay for God to require something of us. It's okay that the Creator would require something of His creation. So why do we get upset with that? Why do we get upset with the fact that, you know, the Word of God says that there are instructions, gives us things to do, and those things that He asks us to do are never to hurt us, never to make our life heavy, but to protect us from ourselves. Think about it. Think about the things that God words, God's Word says to you and the instructions and the commands that God gives us. And when we follow them, who's the beneficiary of them? We are. You are. Your family is. Your church is. Your boss is. Your employer is. The people around you benefit when the fact that you're obedient to Christ because that makes you a person that is more like Christ. And if everyone was like Christ, guess how good this world would be? Amen? So this great cloud of witnesses that we talk about, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 39, talks about this, that we just read about. He says, these people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had promised. Now what this is referring to, this is the chapter preceding chapter 12, and the, chapter 11 is known as the great what? Faith chapter. Because this identifies the faith of all those Old Testament saints and all those Old Testament heroes that went on before, and none of them received the promises that they were praying for. But they were commended for the fact that they were accountable to their faith. And that's what we need to know. We need to be accountable, not only to God's word, but accountable to our faith that we continue to believe that God is going to come through on all the promises of his word as we are journeying through our life. Because none of us have arrived yet. We're all on the path. We're all together journeying through life. And we need to be accountable to God's word, accountable to ourselves, accountable to the faith that we have. And when we do that, that is leading us to a successful Christian life. The second thing we learned is that we are to prepare ourselves to run the race before we start the race. <laughs> I mean, this is just common sense. Beginning to run without being properly prepared is running to fail and not running to finish. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we do this before we start. We do this before we begin. What does this really mean to us? Now, there are the sin that so easily entangles. That is the things that would disqualify us before we can even begin. Sin is a disqualifier. Those things in our life that are open sinful, that things that we just allowed in our lives that are sin, those are the things that stop us from ever really beginning. Even though we might think we're running, we're just running on a treadmill at that point in time. We're not going anywhere because we have sin in our life, and that is a disqualifier for us to actually finish the race. And so that's quite easy for us to throw off the things that are sinful. That's common sense, right? If I know that I'm living a life that's displeasing to the Lord and it's contrary to God's word, then can I just say two words? Stop it. <laughs> just stop it. I mean, how do you think that you can please God when you're living an open sin? Come on, we're not stupid people. Right? We're, we're, we're smarter than that. 
We shouldn't allow ourselves to be deceived. When we know God's word says some things, which we just said that he has every right to tell us some things. If he has every right to tell us some things, then we need to learn to listen to what he says. And if we're living a life that is contrary to what he's telling us to do, then just stop it. And just see, if you just do that, how much better your life will get just because you stopped doing the things that were obviously wrong. Now, I'm not going to tell you what your sins are because you already know them. And people that are listening already know them. So I don't need to get into that. I'm not going to meddle there in your life and tell you what your sin is because I don't need to. But I'm asking you, I'm, I'm, I'm really begging you to, to take account of them. Now, the harder thing is that there are things that will not disqualify us, but they will just plain be a hindrance to us. And we're to throw off those things, too. Everything that hinders, everything that hinders, throw it off. Those things are a little bit more difficult maybe to find out. But I think if you're honest with yourself, as I'm honest with myself, I know what those things are. They're not wrong in themselves. They just might might not be the best use of my time. They may not be the best things that I could do. The Bible says all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So you can, you have the, you have the right to do some things in scripture that are maybe in the gray area. And you know, I don't, I wonder why God gives us gray areas. That's going to be, if I ever get to the point of asking God a question, That'll be one I get to maybe in a few million years. Is to God, why did you give us such a gray area in Scripture? When the things in the gray area, when we use those things or partake of those things, those are the hindrances that we're talking about here. They're optional things. They're not necessary for my life. But yet I play with those things sometimes. And when I play with those things that are in the gray area, how quickly they can become a black thing in my life because they can grab me. They can take hold of me. You know what I'm talking about. They're time wasters. They're things that can become habit forming. There are things that can quickly take you down a bad place. But yet we think we can play with it and manage it. And then those things quite often become stumbling blocks. And stumbling blocks are a little bit more serious because now I'm just not talking about myself, but I'm talking about those people that are watching my race. My kids, my grandchildren, the people that I have influence over. As a pastor, I have a few. You have a number of as well. Don't let yourself off the hook. There's a lot of people that you influence that are watching your race. And if you allow the things that hinder you to stay involved in your life and you don't throw them off, those hindrances, not only can they become black areas in your life, but they can also be great stumbling blocks for others because they see you doing something and they justify and say, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. And maybe they don't have the, the, the same level of, 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 of self-discipline that you have that you may not allow that hindrance to become a black area, that gray area to become black, but maybe that person that's watching you, maybe they don't have that, and they look at a justification and say, well, because Grandpa does it, I can do it. And I don't know about you, but I have grandchildren that I don't want to hurt. I would hate it. I would be so dis- I would be so hurt if I did something that would cause one of my grandkids to fall into the trap of sin because it was a hindrance that I allowed in my life and I allowed it to get bigger and bigger and it became a stumbling block for them. And if they ever lost their relationship with the Lord because of me, oh my goodness, I would feel so terrible. So we are to throw off everything that hinders the optional things in life that really aren't necessary, but we play with it. Let's just be wise. Come on, let's just be wise. And let's know what we have to deal with and what we don't have to deal with. And let's get rid of the stuff and live a life that is as close to Jesus as we can. And can I just tell you that if you start to do that, your life will be so much more enjoyable. Don't listen to the lie that living a Christian life is boring and uneventful. Let me just give you the little hint here. The more you close, the closer you get to Christ, the more exciting your life is going to get. 
the more pleasant it's going to get, the more fulfilling it's going to get. Because if I can live like Christ lived, do you think his life was boring? Do you think that his life was unfulfilling? Do you think that he did anything that was a waste of time that was, that he would look at it and say, boy, that was, I don't want to do that anymore because that's not fulfilling. No, if I live like Jesus, if you can live like Jesus, get ready for a good life that you can resolve, you can, you can climb any mountain. Amen. That's really, really good. And then the third thing we talked about is how we are to run the race with perseverance and we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus represents the finish line. We and our race, remember, we're running a marathon, not a 100-yard dash. So we can't see the end of our race when, our, when we start our race. But Jesus represents not just the beginning of our race, but he also represents the end of our race. And we're to keep our eyes focused on him. Hebrews 12, um, chapters 1, uh, verses 1 through 2, and let us says, then here it goes, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we're to do three specific things that we can pick up out of this little per- portion of Scripture. We're to, number one, we're to focus our eyes on Christ. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Before we start, we need to know the direction we are to run. It wouldn't make any sense for me to run the wrong direction and think I'm going to finish the race. So I fix my eyes on Jesus. He's at the beginning of my race. He's my salvation. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And I focus on him, and he gives me the direction to start race running. And I keep him focused. As long as I keep Christ focused in my life, no matter how deep I get into my race, I will never lose my way in the race because I'm always following Christ. You know what I'm talking about? That as I get into situations, I really don't know which way to turn. I just don't, I don't know which way to go with this particular situation. So I focus my eyes on Jesus. The old, the, the old wristband thing, what would Jesus do? Okay, I know that's a cliche, but truly, what would he do in the situation that I'm in? And when I can ask myself those questions, that keeps my focus on him, and hopefully I don't do things that would distract myself or or move me off my race course. So I keep my eyes focused on Jesus. And then I think something very important is that we stay on the course marked out for us. The race course is already marked out. And this is where the world really gets confused and they really lose it because they think they have the right, and maybe even some carnal Christians have the right, feel they feel they have the right, if they don't like the where the race course has taken them, if they don't like what's ahead of them, they feel they have the right to change it. This is called compromise. We compromise God's word. We don't like what God's word says. We don't like the instructions he's given us on some different areas that we're living. And so rather than staying in on the race and, and, and focused on that and beating our, or I shouldn't say, yeah, as Paul says, I, I beat myself to, to, to fight the fight, the good fight, Rather than spending the time focusing on the things that really matter in my own life, I will focus on the things of how I can change the Bible. I can twist God's word to, to make it what I want to make it so that I don't have to change. I'm going to change God's word. That's called changing the race course, and we don't have the right to do that. We don't have the power to do that. We don't have the authority to do that. And uh, when we start doing that, we're going to not finish the race. And then number three, we run with determination and perseverance. That means that we we run at a good pace. Remember, we're on a marathon. We're going to have some good days. We're going to have some bad days. Don't worry about the bad days. Just persevere into the through through it all. Don't give up. Press in. Keep moving. Keep plodding on because you're going to get there. Just run with perseverance and determination. And giving up is never an option. Giving up is not an option, so don't even think that you can give up and win. You keep moving on. So then another week, we learned about how we are to run with purpose because there's joy ahead. Hebrews twelve two. For the joy set before him, him is Christ, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne, at the throne of God. What was the joy that Jesus was attaining for? What was the joy that, that, that allowed him to endure the cross? That joy... Is you. You are the joy that Jesus bore that cross for. Because he knew what he was doing that day was paying for your sin. 
paying for my sin. And that gave him great joy because he knew that we would benefit from his payment. And therefore, it was worth it for him to endure the cross. And he scorned the shame. This was intended to be a very shameful death. A death that would embarrass him. A, de- a death that would, in- would bring shame to him and his family. But he changed the shame into hope. Because of what he did in the cross, he defeated shame. He defeated the enemy. He defeated death. And everything that the enemy had and that, that he intended in that shameful death, Jesus turned it into a victorious life. And that's what we can benefit from. So we are the joy. And that takes us now to what we're going to be talking about today. Do not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We're going to hear some really good things here in the next 15, 20 minutes or so. So pay attention, listen in, listen up, and let's glean here what the Lord has for us because we can so easily get tired and want to give up. I know. I face it every day like you do. I face the temptation to say it's not worth it anymore. Why should I keep pastoring? What's going on? Why should I keep going? Let me say it this way. The reason that I can have confidence in Christ is because he ran his race and finished in first place. He won. And he won while he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. He wasn't set apart from temptation. He understood what it meant to go through the same temptations that you and I have. To sin and to give up. And yet, he was without sin. What that means is that he is qualified Not only to be the perfect sacrifice, but to be the perfect example for me and for you. He understands our battle here on earth. He understands it. He he can empathize with us. And he's working on our behalf. Even though it seems at times that life is just unbearable and too hard and it's undoable and we want to quit... Jesus won his race, and because he won his, we can win ours. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let the level, the devil lie to you, and don't believe, well, he's going to lie to you, just don't believe him. Tell him to get out. Take authority over him and tell him to get out. Because in all this, Jesus wasn't detoured, deterred by the efforts of sinful and evil men. He had a lot of people against him. I've been watching the Chosen series, and maybe you have as well. And, you know, it's just amazing how when we see even Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, they rejected him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him because he claimed to be who he was. And they just couldn't accept it. And then, obviously, we know what Rome did to him and what the Pharisees did to him and the crucifixion and all that thing. And, you know, he went through all of that. And when he, and by going through all of that for us, he defeated Satan by defeating death. Amen. Amen. The power of death no longer controls Jesus. The power of death no longer controls you. The power of death no longer reigns in our life anymore. Even, even though our physical bodies are going to die, our spiritual man is going to live. And we're going to live victoriously because the fact that Jesus ran his race. And for those reasons, I have all the confidence to continue on my race. And so do you. You know, we talked about the power of choice a bit ago. And how important and how powerful choice is. Do you know that even Jesus had a choice? Yes, he came with a, on a mission. And he came for a purpose, but he had a choice to complete it or not to complete it. He had the power to give up if he wanted to give up. 
If Jesus wouldn't have completed his race, what would have happened? If he wouldn't have completed his race, then we have no hope and no reason to finish our race. This is really important because it's only because he finished his race that we have hope and a reason to finish ours. So don't don't get distracted by how bad your problems are. Rather, this is where we focus on Christ. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because he won his race, I can win my race, and you can win your race. I like the way the Amplified Version uh, gives Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. This is the Amplified Version. It says, just consider and meditate. Listen. Just consider and meditate on him who is him, Christ, who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider and meditate. What does meditate mean? It means take some time to let it sink in. Take some time to really understand What's being said. Take some time to really appreciate what Jesus did. Don't let this slip by and become incidental. This is how Jesus can say that he's the only way. Because of what Jesus did, Jesus can say now, I'm the only way to God the Father. Don't let the enemy and don't let your flesh man and don't let false teachings and false religions out there tell you that you can do it your own way and still win. You cannot do it your way and win. Only we, the only way we win is we focus on Jesus. Because he completed his race and finished it well, so can I. Do you understand this? Is this sinking in? This is why John fourteen six says, again, the Amplified Version, Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God. And the real truth and the real life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, this flies against our flesh. Our flesh man says, I can do it my way. We already talked about that. Remember that song from Frank Sinatra we did a few weeks ago? My way? No. That is a, that is a lie. You have to do it Christ's way. I have to live Christ's way. Because Jesus suffered at the hands of the evil and, and sinful men that were driven by intense hatred of Satan. You see, Satan thought he was going to win by killing Jesus. By killing him, Satan thought he was going to win. He had no idea what was going to, how the tables were going to be turned. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus can say this undeniable claim that he is the only way. Now, when he, when Jesus says that and, and men still crucified him and rejected him, Can you see why God gets angry at those that reject his son? I mean, we really can't appreciate that until we understand how much Jesus did for us and how it hurt the father that Jesus had to go through everything he went through. And then he has little old measly created men down here that look at God and say, I don't need him. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need you, God. Can you understand then? Can you be, that, can you even begin to comprehend the fact that God has a right to be angry? He has the right to get angry at people and at sin because of what sin is doing, how it's how it's ravaging His creation. So, in order for us to truly grasp the truth of the story of reality that we're talking about here we have to understand that what would have happened if Jesus wouldn't have finished his race? What would have happened? Do you understand truly what's at stake here? You see, if if there is no resurrection, there is no gospel. If there is no gospel, there is no forgiveness of sin. If there is no forgiveness of sin, there is no present joy. And if there is no present joy, there is no future hope. 
You see, everything ties back to the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus because everything else, if he wouldn't have been resurrected, then we would be living a life in vain. We would have no hope. And the world misses this point because they they don't recognize how important having a relationship with Christ is. If we're going to have joy in this world at all, then we must have that relationship with Christ. The, the world the world will tell us that's not true. The world will tell us we can get it on our own. The world can tell you that you can do it through your money, through your drugs, through your alcohol, through your sex, through whatever else you want to deal with, and you'll get, that'll give you joy. But understand that's a lie from the pit of hell, and all that's going to do is bring grief and regret. Nothing could give us joy other than Christ. And I think we just need to understand that. I think we need to wake up and understand the fact that the only thing that will give us true joy is having a relationship with Jesus. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many boats you own, how many cars you have, how many homes you have, where you can live, where you can vacation. I'm telling you, guys, the only way we can truly enjoy life and to its fullest is having a relationship with Jesus throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and running the race. There's joy in the process. There's joy in the process. And don't let the enemy tell you anything different. You know, there are a lot of people in this world that have a lot. And maybe it's hard to get through to them the fact that they don't have enough. The way we get through to them that they don't have enough and that we do is by having joy in our heart. By living in joy. Listen, if we're going to claim Christ, then live like you believe it. (laughs) Then live joyful as best as you can, understanding that this world is not your home. What you don't have in this world doesn't matter anyways. What you don't own, it doesn't matter. And what you do own doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what's in your heart with Christ. And when I gain that, then there's nothing the world can do to take that away. It can come against me with all kinds of stuff and turmoil and nonsense, but it can't take my joy. And that's why we need to know. That's why Jesus completed his race. And that's what it gives us. You see, if we didn't have that, then our race would be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells it very clearly this way. He says, and if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Skipping down to verse 17 of that. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then these sins also, who have, and those who have also fallen asleep, or in other words, died in their, in Christ are lost. If only for this hope we, we, for only in this life we have hope in Christ that we are of his people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus didn't do what he said he did, if he didn't die and raise from the dead like he did, then we are wasting our time following him. That's what Paul is saying here. But it's only because of the promise and the hope that was given to us by the eternal life that Jesus has, that our life is now worth running and competing and complete, completing well. Romans eight eleven, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. In other words, because Jesus rose from the dead, life came back in his body, that same life, that same power that raised him from the dead is living in you. The same power that rose Christ from dead, the dead is living in you. And this is our promise. And this is our destiny because Jesus finished his race. So now what happens when life gets hard? Because I know that we can make it sound really good in church. And we can get really pumped up and churchy here. But when the problems of life come, the unexpected death of people that we love, that they're too young to die, and we all have people like that, 
or we have unexplained, unexplained sicknesses or diseases or job losses. You see, the list could go on and on about all the difficult things that we face. And the question is, how can we continue on when life seems so hard and hopeless? And this is what the heater of the the heater, the writer of Hebrews, is saying to us right now. This is why this is so important that we do consider him who endured his opposition from sinful men, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Because Jesus knows the temptation that we face. That's why he can draw the comparison to his life and his struggles to ours, because ours are minor compared to his. We can only appreciate what it means not to grow weary and lose heart as we more fully understand what Christ suffered as he shed his blood for us. I think we need to stop and just pause and think about that for a minute. Think about that. Jesus being God and fully man. What did he do? How did he live? What did he endure? How can we then really compare our struggles with his? goes on in that verse, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, we might someday, but not today. The New Living Translation says it this way, after all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Even though we can't pay for our sin through our efforts, we still have the consequences of sin to deal with. Yeah, we're forgiven of our sin. But many of us have consequences that are lingering on because of our poor choices. These create some of the struggles that we have. These are the reasons some of us go through problems because we're dealing with our own sowing and reaping of our lives in the past. Now, we're forgiven, thank the Lord. But yet... Some things we have to go through, we have to endure. But let's keep them in proper perspective so that we don't get discouraged and lose heart no matter what the opposition may bring us. Does that make sense? Yeah, things are not always going to be cheery and good, but that's okay. Don't worry about that. Because we're running the race. We're in the process. We're on the journey. We're going to win the race because Christ won the race for us already. I love the Apostle Paul. He's such a good writer. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he tells us the same thing. He says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen, you remember what I said at the very beginning about sometimes we can get sick and maybe we don't get healed physically? But yet God is renewing us inside, inwardly. This is what he's talking about. Though outwardly outwardly we are wasting away, maybe we're sick, maybe we're not getting the healing we think we deserve or want. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's the spirit healing us. That's the process of an internal spiritual healing is that we're being renewed day by day even though our outward bodies are struggling. Hey, just normal aging process. Come on, it's not easy to get old, is it? It's not for the weak. No, our bodies are going to age, but that's okay. They age. But our spirit man can get stronger and stronger. Day by day, our spiritual man can get stronger and stronger as our bodies weaken. Verse 17, For our our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What are we talking about? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet shed your blood. 
So there's an encouragement to all this. I think part of the thing that we don't understand sometimes is that we think that God's purpose is to make us, make our problems go away. But let me understand, let me give you an understanding of what God's true purpose is. God's true purpose is building and shaping our lives to be more like Christ. It's not about making life fair. It's not about being all treated equally and equity and all this nonsense that the political left is bringing to us. It's not it. That's not the answer. Now, I'm not a racist and I'm all for, you know, treating people with equality and all, I'm also, I'm all for that. But I'm not for equity. I'm not for trying to make all things fair because they're not fair. My life, God's purpose for my life is to make me more like Jesus, not to be equity, not to be fair. So let's not get twisted up in that. Let's not get ourselves all caught up in the wrong battles. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be working hard for people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that let's not get confused as to what God's true purpose is in our life. It's to make us like Christ. And Christ dealt with a lot of things that weren't fair. He could have. Think about it. I really like that one portion in in The Chosen where Jesus is by himself and he's making camp and he's making a campfire and he's rubbing sticks together to make fire. Now, he could have said, God, give me fire. Boom, fire. No, no. He had to go through the same things that you and I have to do to, to go through life. It wasn't fair for him to have to have to make fire the old-fashioned way, but he did because it wasn't about making life easy. It was about being a good example for us because our life isn't always going to be easy, but it's going to be worthwhile if we run the race. See, every difficult situation that you face, God's aware of, just so you know that, and he's allowed it. God's not taken off. He's not taken by surprise by anything that happened in your life. He doesn't say, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. No, he saw it. And he allowed it. Whether you like it or not, he allowed it. But he's going to use it for your good. He's going to use what the enemy brings to destroy you. He will make it for your good. Do you believe that? No matter how long it might take. You see, I think that we're tempted to give up sometimes because we think that life is so long and we're never going to get to the end of it. But James 4.14 says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. It's a wisp. It goes so quickly. And for, if you don't believe that, for those that are older here, think about a few years ago how quickly the time flies. Even though the day may drag on today... The days of yesterday fly by. So don't worry about your problems. Don't worry about them. They're not going to last that long. Don't be so wrapped up in your own little world that you think it's never going to end. It is going to end, and it's going to end well if you run your race. We can endure hardship. Christ endured hardship. But God is making something better out of us. He's using the hardships in our life to make us better, to make us more like Christ. If God gave Christ hard things to do, he will give you hard things to do, but it will make you more like Christ as you endure the hard things in life. Don't think it's going to get simple. Don't think it has to get simple. Just know it's right. It's what it is, and it's going to be okay as you endure. Paul understood that. He wrote to the Romans, Romans 5, 3 and 5. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, been given to us. You see, Jesus wasn't put to shame either. Remember, he changed shame into hopefulness. Hopelessness from shame came produces hope. Right? That's what he produced. He took the hopelessness that shame produces and he brought us hope. Our suffering and hard times that God knows we're going through, he knows we're going through it because he's going to use it to produce perseverance in your life, 
to produce character in your life, and most importantly, to produce hope in your life. That's what God does. That's how he works in your life. And hope does not put us to shame, no matter what happens. Understand what that means. Jackie, would you come, please? The enemy is constantly working to defeat us. He wants us to quit. He wants us to give up. But the Apostle Paul, again, instructs us. We just read in 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18 but he says, here's how we do it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. We compete, We complete our race by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Very simply, let's just cut to the chase. Let's not make it any more complicated than we have to. Jesus is our finish line. He was with us in the beginning, and he will be with us in the end, and he will be with us in the process. That's the beautiful part about being in Christ, is that he never leaves us. He's always there. He's always there. So how do we do this? How do we run our race? How do you keep your eyes focused on Christ? Well, we do it by pleasing him. We do it by looking for ways to helping others. We do it in ways that would take our focus on away from us and put it on him and on people and on situations that can that we can be in assistance to other people. We can do it by saying no to the things that would disqualify us from our race. We can do it by looking at all the hindrances of our life and not allowing the gray areas to become dark. We can have a resolute determination not to let the frustrations of this world tempt us into trying to alter the race course. The compromises that we think we are good, put them away. Say, no, I read God's word. I'm going to believe God's word. I'm not going to let the sin of this world or the temptation to sin change my race course. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to fill me with an ever-increasing joy that defeats the enemy. The enemy loves to discourage. The enemy loves to take your joy. Because if the enemy can take your joy, then he can take your hope. The prophet Nehemiah said in verse chapter 8, verse 10, he says, Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Study that. Meditate on that. Think about that. What is the joy of the Lord? What is it? Is it happiness? Is it the things that make me smile? Or is it the thing that gives me hope? Joy is hope. Joy is knowing that Christ completed his race. The joy set before him is us. The joy set before him, before us is him. The joy set before us is knowing that we're going to have relationship with him, not just in this world, but forever and ever and ever as I keep on my race and I work hard and I complete it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you believe that? Do you want that? Then work for it. Dig in and don't let it go. Let it become who you are, what you are. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've given us. You have never left us abandoned, not one time. Never have we been alone. We may feel alone at times, but that's not because you've left us. It's because we've taken our eyes off of you. It's because we've let the enemy get in and move our eyesight on the temporary things rather than on the eternal things. So I pray, Father, that you would just fill us with your joy, with your hope, with your promise. Lord, let us truly run the race marked out for us. And let us really understand what it means to keep our life on Jesus, our eyes focused on Christ. And then, Lord, let it give us joy. 
The same joy that it gave you that you could endure the cross, Lord, that same joy would flood our lives, that you would become our joy as we not only enjoy your joy now, but, God, we look forward to it, to what it have in eternity forever and ever that will never diminish. I thank you for that. I really do thank you, God, for your promises. I pray you give us hope today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing the song as we get ready to go to our homes today. Father, that is our prayer today. Lord, that you would help us. That you would take our eyes off of this world. Off the good and the bad. And that, Lord, that we truly would keep our eyes focused on you. And as we do that, Lord, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. That doesn't mean that your creation is bad. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy this world. It can't doesn't mean that I can't enjoy a good basketball game or a good game of golf or fishing or whatever it is that I enjoy doing. It just means that that's no longer my focus. That I don't get upset when I don't play a good game of golf. That I don't get upset when things get hard because I'm letting the things of earth, good and bad, grow strangely dim as I keep my eyes focused in on you. And, Lord, there is hope, there is joy, there is peace. God, that is something the world cannot give. So, God, I pray that you would protect your children today. Lord, all of us in this place today and that are listening, that are believers, God, I pray you put a hedge of protection about us today that we do not allow the world to get in and steal our joy. Give us a hope today, God, that we've never maybe had before or maybe in a long time. Restore us, I pray. And I give you thanks and I give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Enjoy today. Be blessed. Amen.